Hello, everyone. I am Pamela Stodge, co-host of the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast. Today, we're doing things a little different, and I'm going to take over. I thought after months and months and months of listening to Dr. Hoyt interview other people and get insight on what it's like for me to be a food allergy mama, I thought it was time to turn the tables and hear from her. So today we're going to have a chat with Dr. Hoyt and we're going to ask her everything from what led her to become a doctor to why she started this podcast to begin with. So grab a cup of coffee. Join me on this conversation with Dr. Alice Hoyt. Welcome to Food Allergy and Your Kiddo with Dr. Alice Hoyt, the podcast about demystifying food allergies, diminishing allergy anxiety and taking back control. Let's navigate this challenge together with evidence-based information, scientific research, and tried and proven practices. And now, here's your host, board-certified allergist and immunologist specializing in food allergy, Dr. Alice Hoyt. Hey, everyone. It is Pamela Stodge here. I am the co-host of the Food Allergy in Your Kiddo podcast, and I am joined today by Dr. Alice Hoyt. How are you? Hello, Pam. I'm excited for this turning of the tables. Well, I'm or a table. Nervous. Is it singular or plural? Turning I don't know. The table? You and I are on two different tables, so we're going to go with tables. Okay. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited. This is, I think our listeners get to hear lots and lots from amazing doctors, or they get to hear from you discussing other amazing doctors or nurses, um, papers and studies. And I just kind of thought, you know, I know a lot about you, but I thought our listeners probably would love to kind of maybe pick your brain a little bit. So I pretended I didn't know who you were and kind of came up with some questions that I felt, um, our listeners would really enjoy getting to kind of know you and why you have led the path that you have led. So you ready to start? Let's do it. All right. So first and foremost, I think, you know, when I listen to your podcast with other doctors, you always say, well, why did you become a doctor? So let's ask you that question. What in your life led you to think, I want to focus my life as an adult on helping other people. And then in turn, how did that lead you to wanting to become a doctor? You know, it's, I don't think there was ever one particular point where I said, I'm going to be a doctor. I think I was always that kid who said, I want to be a doctor. And my family very much values and respects education. And also growing up in the church, it was always very important that we help other people. And kind of just putting it all together sounds like, well, I need to be a doctor. Um, I... I started really in high school with learning more about medical conditions and things like how cigarettes are really bad for you and sort of, you know, at this point, sort of simple stuff, but that's what I started providing education to other um, teenagers and elementary schools about, and then that kind of continued into college. Uh, So that sort of really solidified, like, yeah, I like, I like health stuff. Um, and then volunteering, I spent some time in 
the PEDS Hemont clinic volunteering and just being exposed to what, what healthcare was like under the guidance of some very, very good doctors. It really solidified like, yes, this is, this is what I am called to do because I will tell you to do medicine. I think, especially today, it, it, it has to be a calling to do it and do it with the passion that at least I feel and that I hope that my colleagues feel about what they do. So then you went to college knowing that you wanted to be a doctor. So Mm -hmm. you took all the classes, you applied to med school. And so in med school, when you get accepted and you start day one, did you already know what kind of doctor you wanted to be? Or was it something of a discovery as you tried different things, then you learned, oh, I like this or I like that. I remember talking to you a couple of times after some rotations and and hearing your thoughts. Um, And sometimes they changed and sometimes they they didn't. But then I I remember the point where they stayed the same. So maybe explain to the listeners how that worked. (laughs) So um, when I went to med school, I thought I really wanted to be involved in public health policy. And so when I had to choose a, an area of medicine um, and go through what's called match day, which is where after interviewing at different programs for whatever specialty you want to apply for, whether it's internal medicine, pediatric surgery, the list goes on and on with match day, you find out where you're going to be doing whatever it is you're going to be doing. And I ultimately ended up applying for combined internal medicine and pediatrics, which is medicine for adults and medicine for children. So it's two residencies combined into one program. So I, um, so I matched at Tulane university here in new Orleans, which was amazing, amazing experience to be at Tulane and, um, continue working with the wonderful people in new Orleans and Southeast Louisiana. And when I was in residency actually is when I, um, came upon because a mentor recommended it to me, the world of allergy. I had never even really heard of an allergist, (laughs) uh, which I think is one reason why I'm such an advocate for allergists and for patients to find an allergist, because I Mm -hmm. knew that, you know, even though I was young, like if I was focusing on going into a medical specialty, then, and I didn't even really know a whole lot about what allergy was, then like, I imagine people that don't, have any sort of interest in medicine have, you know, like what's an allergist? Is that even a doctor? Does that person even go to medical school? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, looking back, it all kind of makes sense because when I was at LSU, I ended up getting my degree in nutrition, which I loved. I think I was, I think maybe I was biological sciences for a semester. And then I was food science, which oh, so interesting food processing. So interesting. But I didn't think that was quite the right path to get me to medical school. And then if I didn't get into medical school, what was I going to do? I knew I wanted Mm -hmm. to be working with people trying to improve their lives. Um, Mm -hmm. And that also goes hand in hand with health policy, just trying to help help people live their best life, right? Um, So I love my nutrition degree. And then that just folds in so beautifully to now what I do with food allergy, just kind of, it's amazing how hindsight is 2020 and how you know, God knows your path. You don't know your path, but God does. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really nice to look back and be like, oh, it all makes sense. (laughs) Well, it's funny and we'll get to it in a minute 
um, when we kind of get to one of my final questions, but um, health policy, because kind of what you do now um, with advocating really is that. So you, you're kind of doing a little bit of both. You're doing, or a lot of both. You're doing health policy in a way while you're still being a physician. So, so cool. I didn't really I do. I mean, I kind you're of, talking about Codana. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which we, we will get there. We will okay. get there. Um, okay. Wait, so, I'm, I'm wondering, what did I tell you when I was going? Because yeah, I mean, you've, you've <laughs> been with me through all of this, but I remember you were interested. You've always been interested in working with kids that I knew. Um, and I, I remember you being very interested in, um, pediatric oncology for a while there. Um, and you talked a lot about that. And then after each rotation, you always seemed very excited about it. And then I guess toward the end, (laughs) shocker, you're like my husband, you love learning. (laughs) I do. Y'all love learning all the things. Um, and, but then I, I remember at some point, cause I just have like, I feel like my life just kind of is all jumbled up. Mm-hmm. I do remember at some point you being very specific that you were interested in doing that dual, um, residency GI. of pediatrics. Oh, med peds. Oh no. I do remember you wanting mm-hmm. to do GI as well. Yeah. Yes. So the GI and the oncology, they all make a lot of sense to me now because also what a lot of people don't know about allergists is that we also train in immunology. So when you become an allergist, you've either gone through internal medicine or pediatrics training or both like myself, and then you do an allergy and immunology fellowship. And most, no, all, all AI fellowships, you learn it at least some adult and at least some peeps. Some of the fellowships are geared more towards pediatrics and some are geared towards more towards adult. But when you're boarded, you, you have learned, learned all of it, the adult and the kids. Um, and looking back the oncology, it makes sense because that's a lot of the immune system, the immune system going rogue, the immune system doing things that it should not be doing. And the GI, why I didn't ultimately do GI were really two things. One, I didn't want to be doing a lot of procedures, endoscopies, colonoscopies. That was not, not what I wanted to be doing, but I'm so glad that there are people that love to do that and do it so well. (laughs) Um, And the second thing was that when I got into the literature, like looking at the GI literature, I was very interested in Crohn's disease. Um, it all came back to the immunology of it all. And what allergy is, is the immune system going rogue and attacking things that it has no business attacking. Um, and then, you know, put in the food allergy part and my background in nutrition. I, you know, I spent a lot of time on my grandparents' farm growing up and learning about gardening and milking cows and, and sort of a more sort of natural, simple life compared to what we have today of, you know, you, you look at the food label to figure out what's in there. And half the time you can't, you don't know like Mm -hmm. what half these words mean. Right. Um, and so I, I think I have that sort of different point of view of what our bodies have been used to for, for so many really centuries. And now in this age of technology, and then we take into account changes in the immune system, just 
I, I feel like I'm going on a tangent here, but no, <laughs> um, it all, it all makes sense in my mind that I am now an allergist immunologist and one that spends a lot of time advocating on behalf of, of other people. I think a lot of my experiences leading up to where I am now has sort of, um, prepared me to be this person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's so good. That's so fascinating. I remember when we lived, um, for those of us that are those listeners that may have not known this, but my husband and I lived in New Orleans when Dr. Hoyt was in med school. Um, he was in dental school and we literally lived down the block from each other. It was down the block to the stop sign and then around the corner and our houses were, I mean, if our backyards were open, we probably just could have walked to each other's backyards. Yes. But I do remember going to your house at one point when you were kind of discovering that your body didn't like gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember though, if you were in med school or if you were already in residency. So I think you were just I think you were still in med school. So even then you were kind of already mm-hmm. saying, okay, well, you know, gluten isn't good for me. And, you know, so mm-hmm. you were already kind of discovering things for yourself and then it kind of just led you to this path. So was yeah. that kind of part of why you chose food allergy? I mean, clearly you, you know, allergy and immunology is a huge passion of yours, but why specifically food allergy? Was it something, your own personal experience? Was it just the research that you did? Was it something you saw? Like what, why that? So why that is because I'll tell you the story about that. I was talking with one of my mentors and she's a PT mom doctor. And I said, you know, I just, I I really like GI, but I really like the immune aspects of it. I don't see myself doing all these endoscopies on top of that. There really isn't a good pathway for combined GI. It's, um, it's a, it's a lot more time added to training. I knew then, I think I had just started dating my now amazing husband. Um, I knew that I would want to have a career with flexibility for me to be with family at different seasons, um, or different, different quantities of family, different seasons. Um, not saying that very eloquently, but I think you get what I mean. Um, yeah. (laughs) And, and so having a, a specialty where I would be doing procedures, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so I knew I didn't want to set myself up to be a subpar proceduralist. Um, and I knew that, the timeline wasn't going to be great that I would have to go somewhere far, far away to, to get that training. That's assuming I even matched into that because again, just like you get a match to go to a residency, you have to match to go to a fellowship. And that's when she said, well, Alice, what about AI? And I'm like, well, what about AI? And she's like, well, do you like that? And I'm like, well, I mean, I've never really had much exposure to it. Because when I was, when I had allergies, my primary care doctor always handled it when, um, and they weren't that bad. Mm-hmm. So I thought, <laughs> so, <laughs> no, they weren't that bad. Um, I have great doctors. Um, but when, when you do internal medicine and pediatrics, when you do that combined residency, you're turning two, three-year residencies into four years. And so you cut out a lot of what's called elective time. And so I spent a lot of time 
in the ICU. I spent a lot of time on the wards. I spent a lot of time on the cardiology service, the GI service, the liver transplant service, but didn't spend a lot of time in the more outpatient driven specialties like allergy immunology. So my program, um, it was my third year of residency and residency is for med pieces, four years. It was my third year. So it was a little bit late to start exploring, oh, what does Alice want to do for reals? Um, (laughs) And so my program was delightful and they really sort of did some scheduling acrobatics for me to be able to, to get some time in the clinics. And I loved it. And I loved being able to work with families because I was able, you know, the, the kiddo, when it comes to food allergy in kids, the kiddo is your patient but they're not your sole target audience. Mm -hmm. You know, you also, it's so important to communicate well with the family. Um, And I love that dynamic. I love being able to walk with a patient, with a family on their journey and not be a sort of, they come see me, I fix something in one or two visits and then they're done. Um, There are some specialties that that's what they do. And that is so important, right? If I need Mm -hmm. to have a surgery, one and done, please. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But my personality, like I just, I love guiding families on, on a journey of wellness. And I think the background of nutrition, it just, it all just came together when I, when I started getting my, really dipping my toe into the pool when it came to allergy immunology. And then I applied for a fellowship at university of Virginia that's where I trained in allergy and immunology um, with some very big names in the AI Mm -hmm. world. And they're big names because they're brilliant minds Um, and brilliant minds thinks out, think outside the box. And they allowed me to think outside the box in many, in many ways, both in science and the bench. um, And then also in growing Codana. Listening to that, I guess I didn't really know that that's why you chose it. I just know knew that you chose it. And guys, we've been friends for like 20 plus years. So <laughs> this is kind of news to me, but it totally makes sense as a friend that that is why you chose it as well. You know, obviously the medical aspect too, but the fact that you enjoy or that you wanted to guide families into a wellness journey kind of makes sense to me because you're that kind of friend as well. Thanks. So, and the reason I corrected you from follow to guide is because I do take when I'm a physician, when I have my doctor hat on, not my podcaster, medical educator hat on, when I'm my <laughs> doctor hat on, um, I, I, I do take some paternalistic approach with families because I treat, I try to treat my families the way that I want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And while I want to be presented all the options, I don't want to just be presented all the options and then have no guidance as to what is the best choice for me or the best choice for my child. So I like to present all the options and then talk through talk through them and then say Mm -hmm. which one I would recommend or which one I do recommend for their child. Um, which one, if it were my child that that I would pick, or if it was me, what I would pick, um, and then guide the family along through, through what really is a food allergy journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, Dr. Brian Schroer, Mm -hmm. you know, very, shared decision-making, you know, it's your job to give them the options and to guide them 
mm-hmm. to what would be their best path of success, whatever that path looks like. Exactly. So. And every food allergy family story is different and every treatment plan can be different. Mm-hmm. Um, OIT avoidance, other forms of immunotherapy, like there's no like one right answer for every family. So you spoke of UVA mm-hmm. and how they allowed you to sort of think outside the box. And so mm-hmm. let's go back to that health policy, health advocating sort of scenario, because that's where code Anna came into play. And mm-hmm. that was, and has been sort of, you know, even while you practice that has been sort of your second baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an amazing one. And I know that you spoke about it in a podcast before, but what made you say, you know what, someone needs to do something like this for schools? Well, when the school called, and this was, it's a fantastic school in, um, in Charlottesville, it's a smaller Christian school. And when they called and they have school nurse full time, um, I was like, they're, they're, they have resources. So they're not a school that doesn't have resources. They're not a school that's not motivated. They have resources and they're motivated. And I was under the impression that, well, certainly just like we are taught, we as doctors are taught how to run a code in the hospital, certainly school personnel are taught how to respond to a medical emergency. But Pam, as you well know, like that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And once I started really researching this area, I found that schools want to be prepared for medical emergencies, but they're not taught how. And so when the school wanted help with developing an anaphylaxis response plan, what I realized was that they need to know how to recognize and respond to anaphylaxis, but that needs to be part of their comprehensive awareness and knowledge of recognizing and responding to really any medical emergency, just like we do in the hospital when somebody is having, um, if they're if they're coding, if they um, are they're a rapid response, meaning we're trying to prevent a code, and a, a pack team, prevent a code team. So someone's having trouble breathing, blah, 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 all these different things. Um, you want to intervene bef- before things get really bad. But in order to do that, you have to recognize that there's a problem. And the type of step-by-step guidance that Code Anna today provides to schools for how to recognize there's a problem and how to respond to it. That did not exist before Codana started doing that work. Um, And I think I can speculate on why it didn't exist is because it's complicated. Every school's different. Um, It's taken us years to really distill, not dilute, but distill our um, our our formula, for lack of a better term, down to a formula that is very time efficient for schools, but still gets schools a good outcome of having a solid practiced medical emergency response protocol, whether they're a large school, small school, lots of resources, not little resources. And the other thing I'll say about resources is that resources isn't just money. It's also mm-hmm. people and motivated people. And I'll tell you, a lot of schools who do participate in Codana or adopt a Codana response, then a lot of their teachers are very happy because so many times schools are um, are nervous about kind of opening Pandora's box of medical emergencies yeah. because teachers go to school to teach. 
doctors go to school to doctor. So teachers don't want to be doctoring. And I totally respect that. So this program gives schools a way to recognize there's an emergency and then get a team that wants to respond, that feels confident and competent in giving that EpiPen or using that AED, doing that. So it's Mm -hmm. it's a win-win for all involved, but ultimately started it because they needed it. Yeah. Hi there. This is Alexis from the Hoyt Institute of Food Allergy. Did you know that the Institute is the official sponsor of the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast? And did you also know that you are now able to connect with Dr. Hoyt directly? That's right. We are now offering food allergy office hours for parents. These one-on-one virtual sessions are available for parents all across the country. It's an educational session, not an office visit, where you can ask all of your food allergy questions and finally get answers. It's as comfortable as having a cup of coffee with your bestie. Simply click the link in the show notes to schedule and mention this ad. We are so, so excited to connect with parents across the globe with this new service. Okay, now back to Pam and Dr. Hoyt. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. And just so everyone is aware, um, Dr. Hoyt is the founder of Code Anna and I do sit on the board. Um so that yeah, you do. I don't, know, I don't know if we have to like put that out there or not, but you know, this is my well, first time. We don't take any money from the organization. We're completely no. volunteer. We are all so. volunteer. This podcast is completely separate from Code Anna. Um, but we have no shame in requesting donations for this organization. Because yeah. let me tell you, <laughs> um, it's great. we're able to provide education to thousands of, of people who need to learn, laypersons, teachers, uh, daycare workers yeah. who uh, who need to learn how to do these things. And it's so rewarding when I get those emails saying, hey, this Codana trainee recognized anaphylaxis, used the EpiPen, and the kid's doing great. Just from dealing with, um, you know, my own child's school, I know that teachers are willing and able to help, but there's fear in the unknown, right? And so a program like Code Anna is taking away that fear and it's mm-hmm. giving um, that empowerment to people to help that. Yes, you are a teacher. Yes, that is your one job, but some, you know, accidents happen. Kids mm-hmm. fall off of playground equipment, mm-hmm. um, kids that don't know they have an allergy. So it's not just about kids who have an allergy that, Hey, you know, be prepared for that. This is about all medical emergencies. And when right. you empower the people, they're more willing to help, not just in that setting, but they're more willing to help outside of that setting. You know, if, if you see someone at the grocery store or at, you know, whatever it may be, you know, it's just such a good tool to have. And it's so important for people to recognize that power comes from knowledge. I was about to say that, (laughs) (laughs) but it does, you know, power comes from knowledge and yes, it's scary you know, to say, oh, I have to sit down and learn about medical emergencies. Oh my gosh, I don't want to deal with medical emergencies, but guess what? At some point in your life, you will be faced with a medical emergency, whether it's your own or somebody else's. And when you have that power from knowledge, Mm -hmm. you can just, I mean, you may still have a freak out moment, right? But you'll know what to do. Right. And knowing what to do saves lives in all situations. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's much more common for a medical emergency to occur in a school than a fire emergency. Right. Yeah. But we have fantastic fire drills, but not so much when it comes to medical drills. Um, and I think that's just because no one's ever made a, um, made, made an easy user-friendly way to do it. And so that's what we do. Right. Leads me making things available to the people. Why this podcast? Why did you say, you know what, on top of everything else that I do in my life and on top of not only career-wise, everything that I do, but my own personal life, let's just add a website and a podcast to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it started because I found myself when talking with my food allergy families, saying a lot of the same things that took time. Um, and I always like to spend a lot of time with my families in clinic, but I don't always have enough time, you know, even if I have an hour with a family, like depending on where the family is on their journey, they might not be ready to receive some information. They might need to focus on other areas. Um, and what I mean by not ready to receive information is if you're just getting a diagnosis, then you probably don't need to hear me talk about the transitioning from the pediatric care model to the adult mm-hmm. care model of getting your kiddo to remember to carry their epinephrine auto injector or call the insurance company or any of that stuff, right? Like you're still trying yeah. to wrap your brain around, wait a second, I my child's healthy. What are you what are you talking about that like a peanut could kill them? What? Mm-hmm. So we have to yeah. we talk about that. Um, but i I find that I was saying a lot of the same things. Cause there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that people need to know about food allergy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was having trouble finding good online resources because what do we all do when we get a diagnosis? We Google, Google. it, right. <laughs> we Google it. Um, yeah. and we try to find information. Now we can find information from like hospital, like websites. It's very dry bullet point. These are symptoms. Here's typical management. Um, That's sort of one side of the spectrum, end of the spectrum, or the other end of the spectrum could be um, some Facebook groups or social media that is very um, scary, scary, not necessarily accurate, but Mm -hmm. a lot of people go to those types of groups. There's many reasons, but one of the reasons that I have found is because they want to hear other people's experiences. Um, And I think they also want to find some hope. They also want to validate what they're feeling. A lot that we talked about lately on the podcast is sort of the anxiety that comes along with this. Um, And it's, it's your, your own anxiety as a parent. It's, it's your kiddo's anxiety. It's that you as a parent, how do you not project your anxiety onto your kid? I mean, like mm-hmm. this is complex stuff. Yeah. Um, and I wanted families, especially parents and especially moms. And I really started out talking to moms through a blog and started doing that. And I really enjoy writing, but I'm also sort of, um, I get in my own way with writing because I want it to be perfect. And sometimes when you read something, it can, can come and come off a way that is not how you intend it. Right. Especially me. Like I typically, when you read something I've written, you can kind of tell like, yeah, she wrote that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, like you can hear me saying it. Right. 
But if you don't really know me, then you might take something a different way. And and then I started hearing more about podcasting and I'm like, well, I really like to talk (laughs) and I really like to talk to people and I'll, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll guests on the podcast. A lot of people like they didn't know me before, but I have Mm -hmm. no problem trying to get people on this podcast so that our listeners can kind of like see behind the curtain and they can hear what different doctors, different advocates, different experts, different people want to say. And so it it was a natural sort of transition to also doing the podcast um, because I could also bring you in. And I think that you bring a completely different dynamic to this podcast because you have sort of like your medical person, me, and then you have the mama living at you. And hopefully we're delivering to our listeners um, an incredibly rewarding, um, transforming and validating listen and an enjoyable listen. Yeah. I mean, this, this podcast, when you first brought it up, um, first I thought, man, can she talk that much about food allergies? (laughs) You know, I just, I thought, what, what is there to talk about? But there's so much, like I, I thought I knew a lot before all of this. I mean, you and I, we've said this on the podcast before as well. Um, you became an allergist before I had an allergy family, you know, um, it just so happened that that's just the way the world, you know, ended up for us. Um, so I've talked to you a lot just as a friend, you know, friend to friend about what it's like to have an allergy, what we go through. Um, I try to not ask too much medical advice. And, and when I do, I always say, I know you're not my doctor, but can you, um, and <laughs> I'm an allergist, but not, not your allergist. Um, and guys, even on the phone, she says that to me, just a little, <laughs> a little, just want to be clear. A little and you're not story. asking for medical advice. You're asking for education. Right. Exactly. You know? Yes. And so I always, no matter who I'm talking to, I'll always sort of try to talk things out. Cause I talk to friends, friends of friends, friends mm-hmm. of friends and friends. <laughs> They'll say, Hey, Alice, can you talk to this person? I'm like, absolutely. And yeah. so it's so funny. I'm sure these people think I, well, I'll like sit down and I'll have my sheet of paper and I'll like kind of write out the case and stuff, um, with, with no HIPAA identifiers. So if you're listening and you, we've done that, don't worry. Your child's <laughs> medical information is nowhere. It's just cause that's, that's how I do it. But I take it seriously when somebody's yeah. asking me questions and it's not that I'm giving medical advice. Um, and I think in any of them will say that it's that mm-hmm. we're trying to talk through like, what is the IgE testing? Like, what does it really mean? How right, is that exactly. really different from skin testing? Yeah. Um, and, and like, with you, like, I love when like you ask me questions. Um, cause like we've known each other since well before I was a doctor. And, um, I think it, it says a lot about, it makes me feel good that somebody who still probably sees me as a teenager. I hope you do. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> still probably sees me as like her teenage friend. Like you also value and respect me, um, and my expertise. And that makes me feel really good. I do. And I told you that a few weeks ago, um, or a few days ago, who knows Mm -hmm. times just all coming together. Mm -hmm. But what I was going to say too, about all of that is that I found myself listening week after week, um, to this podcast and learning something new every week. 
So I hope that with this podcast, um, if I'm learning new things every week, I do hope that other people are learning, you know, new things every week as well. And because there's just so much, there's just so much to unpack in this world of allergies. Um, and it's, you know, it's not going anywhere and it's so Mm -hmm. true. You know, I look back at our episodes and, and I think back, I reflect a lot about what my allergy journey started as, and man, I wish I had something like this where I could get good information that was accurate information that had evidence behind it, that gave me hope and kind of took away some of that anxiety, because as we've talked about in kind of the last five episodes of the podcast is how so much of that is because we didn't, we didn't have any information, especially back when we were diagnosed Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, um, you know, kind of things went from, this is the way allergy is to, whoa, wait, now this is the way it is. And so there's just been so much information that is still coming out, you know, every day, every week that just this podcast is just so amazing, I think, and and hopefully our listeners feel that way too. But on that note, what do you hope or what do you see in this world of allergy? Like what is your vision for the future? What is your hope for the future? Maybe, um, on a personal level as an allergist or Mm -hmm. just overall in the allergy community? Well, let me go back to what you were saying. I think you used the perfect word unpack. There's lots to unpack Mm -hmm. when it comes to food allergy. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like when you and I were reading the paper, parenting a child with food allergy, it was an easy read. Um, there's so much good information in there. And we thought we can talk about this in 20 minutes. Yeah. But <laughs> we're still talking about it right now, yeah. hours and hours later, yeah. because there's so much to unpack in that. There's so much when you're thinking about how to read a food label, how to deal with your own anxiety, stressors, how to deal with your kiddos. Um, and none of that has to do with IgE testing. Mm-hmm. You know, none of that has to do with some of it has to do with uh, doing a food challenge, but it's not the actual like food challenge part. It's the anxiety surrounding the food challenge part. Right. Um, And what I'm getting at is that there's a lot of non-allergist stuff that goes into managing food allergy, but a lot of, a lot of food allergists and allergists in general are just now starting to sort of wrap our brains around that too. Just like really recognizing that this is something that needs to be managed. Just like, uh, you know, if you're working with a diabetic, then you know, the foot care, the, um, the, the labels with them too. Um, it's, it's a complex multifaceted disease process and there's a lot to unpack. And if you've ever, for our listeners, if you've ever just like sort of thought a question about food allergen, about food allergy, and then you're just kind of like, oh, well, that's probably not a big deal or blah, 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 blah. Chances are like, other people are thinking of that question and it's something to have a discussion about. So send it to us, go to foodallergyinyourkiddo.com, <laughs> go to our brand new, beautiful contact page and send us the question. Yeah. Um, and so then your next question, Pam, what, oh, and I'll also commend you too, because you are a very informed food allergy mama. 
And so for you to be learning things, I think that that says a lot, I think about the podcast and about the quality of the folks that come on here and share things. I mean, thinking back to Jen Jobrek and talking Mm -hmm. about the labels, thinking about the DeGangie family and talking about strategies for raising um, a kiddo with food allergy, who's now like incredibly successful getting his master's, all that stuff. Um, and everybody in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hats off to you, my friend. Thanks. You're very welcome. <laughs> and then you asked me, where do I see food allergy? Um, or what is my goal? What was it? Both. Where I see food allergy going is more into the, um, multidisciplinary approach to the disease process to help guide our families through this and get them to another side. And we are getting to another side. So 10 years ago, it was, here's your EpiPen, avoid peanut, come back and see me maybe next year, or maybe just the pediatrician refilled it, um, the EpiPen, or maybe, you know, come back um, before your kiddo starts school and we'll see if they're still allergic by doing skin testing, which we all know skin testing is not going to tell you if you're allergic or not. Um, it just helps you risk stratify. So where I, food allergy has come a long way, mm-hmm. but it has a long way to go and the landscape is shifting. And now I think we are getting to a point where we're going to have so many different therapies that it really is sort of not just guiding along a journey, an indefinite journey, I think that there will be um, an an end to the journey at some point regarding getting rid of the allergy. Um, There there are too many very, very um, capable, knowledgeable, dedicated researchers looking for ways to end this disease, prevent the disease from starting, um, treat the disease, So I do think that we're going to get to that cure. (laughs) We don't like to say the word cure. OIT at this point is not a cure. There is no cure for food allergy right now. Some kids can outgrow their food allergies. Mm -hmm. Some allergies can can go away, um, but there's no cure for food allergy. So also listeners, if you're coming across something on the internet that's saying, oh, this is going to cure that, or this person cured this, Pam and I saw something the other day that enraged us about claiming to cure food allergies. That is not the case. And if you see that stuff, send it to us, go to foodallergyandyourkiddo.com, go to our beautiful contact page (laughs) and to let us know. Um, But, but we are going to get there and that's exciting. That's very exciting. So any final words, ma'am, this has been, Um, no, I think this has been fun. I think what you touched on about um, where the podcast has you know, how, how it's grown, um, is exciting. I took a, a quiz, you know, those quizzes that you can take about like building the brand and all of this mm-hmm. stuff. I, I want to be able to reach people and make sure that our message is very clear. So anyone who knows me knows that I'm going to do a lot of research on better understanding this stuff. Right. Um, and so, you know, I answered these questions about what our food allergy in your kiddo brand is and what we're trying to, to do for our listeners uh, and for our readers. And um, one, of the, one of the archetypes that came back includes that the goal is to transform lives and make dreams come true. You make your clients feel enlightened, amazed, and inspired. And that's exactly what I try to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting to think like, well, this is about food allergy. 
Yeah. I mean, it's about food allergy, but it's about living your best life despite this thing, food allergy, you know, and it's hard to say food allergy is one type of thing. It's a scary disease. It's an everyday thing. It's, you know, fill in the blank, but ultimately I want our listeners to feel inspired and hopeful and use the knowledge that we present to, to live their best lives. Mm -hmm. And no, just like what you're saying that, yeah, it can be scary, but once you have the knowledge and the guidance, and that's where having a good allergist comes in, having someone to talk with and apply this stuff to your kiddo, it, it can make life so much better. Yeah, I agree. On that note, ma'am, this has been so much fun. I appreciate you opening up and talking about sort of how you went just from a teenager that was curious about, um, nutrition and and helping other people to, um, where you are now, which is amazing and it's inspiring and, um, it's very much appreciated from me and your patients and You're very kind. I know our listeners as well. So thank you for taking the time to do this. And, um, I will talk to you soon, ma'am. Thank you, Pam. Okay, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed that episode of food allergy and your kiddo. I hope that you have been touched and inspired by what Dr. Hoyt had to say today. Um, this was such a fun thing to do. So thank you for listening. Also, don't forget to go to our website, foodallergyandyourkiddo.com to sign up for our newsletter. And I hope y'all all have a great day. God bless you and God bless your family. Mm-hmm.